This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 414 with David DiGiorgio. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 414. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. David DiGiorgio is the number one international best-selling author of Being Unapologetic. He's also a keynote and TEDx speaker, a comparanoia expert, and a speaking and confidence consultant for students, teachers, parents, influencers, and celebrities. He's a writer for The Good Men Project, Thought Catalog, Thrive Global, and Success Profiles Magazine. His philanthropic endeavor, Project Being Unapologetic, dares to tackle bullying and build confidence and self-esteem while funding dream projects for high school performing arts students. I do not have a lot of shameless men on this show, but when I do, they are so good. So David was actually recommended to me through my producer, Christy. So shout out Christy for making this connection happen. David is such a gem. He's beautiful. He's brilliant. And I was so, so honored to have him come on the show and join me and us and our community for this conversation. So listen in to hear David share how an incident in kindergarten kicked off years of him being bullied, how he broke the cycle of being victimized by life circumstances, the very real struggle of comparanoia, how to manage and overcome comparanoia, how he coped with being abandoned by his parents when he came out at age 33, his experience in shameless parenting in a non-traditional way today, 
and how he's practicing celebration, especially during challenging times. You're going to learn a lot in this episode. David is, like I said, he's such a gem. He's going to touch your heart. He's going to teach you some new things. And I know you're going to walk away with some great takeaways. So I'm so honored to welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy, David DiGiorgio. David, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. This is exciting because I don't often have men come on the show. So you get to be part of like a very special club. I always say it's mostly moms or mostly women and a few great men. So you're among the greats. Ah, thank you. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a lot of fun. I can tell from our pre-interview. So David and I have never met before, never spoken. He was referred to me through my awesome producer, Christy. She said, I think he'd be a great fit for the show. And when I read about you, David, I was like, yes, for sure. You'll be awesome. But we just met for the first time a few minutes ago and could have talked for hours. So this is going to be a lot of fun. It sure will. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Oh, I love that. So I see I'm a Canadian now living in San Diego with my wonderful 12 and a half year old dog, Galileo, who I love to pieces. Oh my gosh. And my amazing husband. So originally I'm a composer, theater producer who decided he wanted to do good in the world. And I became a head of a high school music department for some time for about 10 years. And while I was doing all of that and doing professional theater, I also decided to open a yoga studio, which was the worst experience of my life. That's a story for another time. I used to own a gym. (laughs) We might have some stories in common. (laughs) Seriously, we'll have to talk about that or do therapy. Seriously. Right, right. And so, you know, I have this really unique background of performance production, education, personal transformation. And when I decided that it was just like inhumanly cold in Toronto, (laughs) which is where I'm originally from, and I set my sights on moving to somewhere with a better climate and I landed in San Diego, I started to share my message more with the world and what I believe, which is to help young people in particular, and those people who are the ambassadors for young people like moms and mom figures to really step into their power and to feel great about themselves. Which leads me to what I'm really excited about now as I'm in 2020, we're currently planning and booking dates for my global wellness celebration tour. And I have this idea. So it's a speaking tour around the world. I have this idea for the North America portion of the tour to do it in an RV. I mean, I think that would be so cool. My husband and I keep talking about doing like a little RV vacation. And so if any listeners, any moms out there have relationships with any RV lots or manufacturers, we're actively looking. (laughs) Nice, nice. Or if anyone has any advice. Get you sponsored. (laughs) Because I've also heard the people who've done RV things who are kind of like, oh, gosh, it's a lot. (laughs) So, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. So I'm someone who watches HGTV and I watch like the tiny house shows and I'm in awe, but they also make my skin crawl a little. I'm like, I could not do that and be happily married with a child. So I feel kind of the same about RVs. I think there's an element of it that sounds really fun and like a great adventure. And then there's an element of it that's like, we might not still be a family when we're done if we were to do that. (laughs) Well, this is why I'm thinking of the tour. So it could be like, you know, maybe a couple months, you know, in the summer. Okay. And we'll just test it out. And then we'll just kind of see. Now, like, make no mistake, I'm looking for like the rock star RV with the bump outs and all. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so you want to be like on Oprah's tour van. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I mean, if Christina Aguilera's got an RV, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. yes. <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Well, that's super exciting. So do you know what countries you're going to be in? 
So we're currently negotiating in the UK, in the Philippines and Australia. So those are the three big ones. Oh, and Sweden also is one that we're talking with. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Wow, that is a big deal. It is, right? (laughs) That's super cool. Okay, I'm so excited to dive into so many things here. So I don't want to get too distracted by that. And we'll maybe end up even circling back to that at some point. But I want to go back to little David as a kindergartner. And you talk about this in your TED Talk. So I'll make sure I link to your TED Talk in the show notes of this episode, because that is definitely kind of how I came to know of you, but also kind of how I decided to frame this conversation around a lot of the things you spoke about in that TED Talk, which was excellent. And you started out talking about your choice as a kindergartner to let yourself stand out as different than your male peers. And how did you behave differently than the other little boys in kindergarten? And what was the impact of this over the course of your youth? Yeah, within the first few weeks, even of kindergarten, it became very clear that I was very popular with the girls. And I mean, you know, I was four. I didn't know. And so I'm the son of an immigrant family. My parents were both born in Italy. And so growing up, we didn't have a lot of interaction with other kids or not a lot of neighborhood kids in my neighborhood in particular. I had an older brother and that was it. I played with my older brother. So once I was set off into the world, what just naturally happened was I became popular with the girls and the girls loved to dress me up and they loved to play house with me and doctor and all the silly little things that kids play. While the boys were off playing with cars and trucks and wrestling and fighting each other, I just didn't have any interests in that. And so what I did, or I guess you could say what I didn't do, is I didn't do what they did. So I didn't play with cars and trucks. And I took a stand for that in a funny little story that I share in my TED Talk, as you saw. And as a result of that, I started to get bullied. And what I really want I guess what is really important for me to let especially adults know and moms, especially because you run the show. Let's just be honest. Moms and mom figures run the show and they keep communities and societies together. And I'll never forget when one of the teachers at the school made a comment and started to parade me around to other classes after my girlfriends had dressed me up as a grandmother. And It wasn't that the teacher was unkind specifically, but that action of her sort of, you know, taking joy in the comedy of me being dressed up as a grandmother, wig and all heels included, scarred me. And also, and what really scarred me was it gave permission to other people to laugh at me. Yeah. And that's what ended up happening. So I just want, you know, parents like we've got to understand that our actions and sometimes, yes, it's funny and all these social media platforms and TikTok and all this stuff. But just think like, do I really need to post this thing about this person, my child, someone else's child? And what is the impact of that going to be long term? I'm in my 40s now and it still is painful to me that moment. That's such an important reminder. That's greatly appreciated as someone who is guilty of laughing at her child from time to time. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's necessary. <laughs> I, not in parading him around, I don't think. I wouldn't consider, but yeah, I mean, it's there from a parental standpoint, there can be that fine line of like, you're really doing this right now, child. Like, this is hilarious and creating like joy as a family around a laughable moment versus laughing, pointing, and then sharing that, you know, 
right. parading in front of others. Right. And I think if you're going to laugh together as a family and having a fun moment, and then I always tell people, you know, I learned this teaching, the best thing that you can always do is just ask questions. Like ask yourself the question, is this a good idea for me to post this video or to whatever the case may be, show the neighbors, whatever it is, is this a good idea? And if you can't 100% say, yes, it's a good idea, well, maybe you should <laughs> reconsider. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. I also think providing context to kids. So my son is someone who wore, which I've shared before on the show, wore tutus and tiara to preschool for months on end sometimes. And we talked about like, that was great. And you're welcome to do that as long as you want in this preschool. And he was in a classroom of nine girls and three boys. And he loved it. And it wasn't like, we didn't laugh at it and we didn't treat it as exceptional. We treated it as like, this is what you want to wear today. Cool. And then if, and when anyone said anything about it, it was like a non-issue because it had been a non-issue with us. So he was just like, yeah, this is what I wear to school. And this is, and boys, this is his big thing. Pink is not a girl color. <laughs> and so there's no such thing as boy colors and girl colors. So he kind of had a framework around it in his mind that kept a very neutral tone around it, which I think, I don't know if for him that seemed to keep it all very comfortable. And then, I mean, at some point he outgrew wearing the tutu kind of to my disappointment, I was enjoying <laughs> But yeah, and I think that that maybe was helpful to him as he navigated. Yeah. And I love that you said that too, because really had, for example, the adults around me at the time treated it as normal and not treated it, as you said, exceptional, right. worthy of being paraded around is like, oh my God, look at this. Let's all take a look at what's happened here. Maybe it wouldn't have been a thing. And the other boys would have learned is like, mm -hmm. whatever, David, that's just David. That's what the other. And it wasn't me. I wasn't putting on they were doing the it. dresses and the wigs. It was the other girls who were putting it on me. They thought it was cute. And I was just kind of like, oh, this is fun. Sure. You know? Oh, my gosh. OK, so and I know that this theme of people of bullying came up repeatedly over the course of your youth then as well. Like that was kind of the beginning of it. And then it continued to show up. Is that correct? Absolutely. Throughout school, you know, I even I was one of those kids who decided I fought to go to a school outside of my district. Not easy. And I thought everything was going to be different then. Was it to escape the? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I was trying to escape my bullies, escape just this, like what everybody else knew that I didn't know is how I felt. Because, you know, I actually didn't come out until I was 33 years old. So somehow everybody else knew this big secret and were calling me names. And I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. Mm. And so I thought I would be able to escape it by going to a new school because I didn't and I don't mean to say this again This is not exceptional, but I didn't act very I wasn't effeminate. I wasn't necessarily I was artsy, you know there, So I was a little boy. I was a young boy and I was just very artsy and sensitive mm -hmm. What that turned into and I mean gosh, this was the 80s. Nobody wants to go back to the 80s. That's for sure such a different time. I'm like, yeah, I remember you talking about in your TED talk, you talk about being a theater teacher. And I remember the theater teachers that I worked with that were in my schools in the 80s and 90s. And I was in Catholic schools. And I remember there was always rumors like they might be gay. Hey. And that was like a really, really big deal. Like we thought it was like this top secret thing. Like, you know, Andrew was one of like, Andrew might be gay, but like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and it's so interesting that now that would not be a conversation. It would be like, I mean, he probably is. Maybe who knows? Like, who cares? It's just a totally different world. Totally different. Yeah. And it's so funny you say that because when I went to high school, one of the drama teachers was obviously gay. And I thought, oh, my God. Wow. Like, it was the first time I'd really ever experienced that. 
And I thought this would be a safe place. But within several weeks, again, the same names and the same bullying started all over again. And that's when I really started in high school to think is like, maybe there's something I need to pay attention to here. If everybody else knows and I don't know. And, you know, it's interesting, I guess, you know, there's a syndrome of being a victim and in different areas of being a victim and you start to get used to it. This episode is supported by Air Doctor. You probably don't know that Americans take in about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. The indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause upper respiratory symptoms like sneezing, coughing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I am so excited that we just got our own Air Doctor for our house, and we will have it all up and running and ready to go in time for all the things that come with spring weather, but also smoke season, which is just around the corner for those of us in the Pacific Northwest. And I know many of you across the country. So here's how you can get your own Air Doctor. First of all, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS and you'll receive up to $300 off of air purifiers. Exclusive to our podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro, A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS. That's airdoctorpro.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. And so being bullied or becoming a victim of bullying has followed me well into adulthood. 
And I still to this day sometimes have to fight it where I have to catch myself. It's like, no, I'm not going to become a victim. I'm not going to boohoo on myself and say, oh, they're bullying me or whatever. Like I can stand up for myself and learning to stand up for myself has been one of the biggest things in sort of the last 10 years of my life. Okay. I want to come back to that, but I want to talk about, I want to go into something that you talk about in your TED talk extensively is around comparanoia. And I would love to hear you talk about how that showed up for you, especially in the context of being bullied and trying to escape different environments and try to find places where you would maybe fit in or feel more comfortable or be less likely to be victimized. Can you talk about what comparanoia is and how it showed up for you and then how it shows up for the rest of us? Yeah. Well, so comparanoia is my life's work. It's now a trademarked term. I'm super proud of that. Is And it describes the desire to be like or unlike anyone else. And that's the one of the three parts of the definition that I really dive into in the TED Talk. And the key is because what most people think when they hear the word comparanoia is, oh, I compare myself to other people. And that certainly is an issue with the social media age. There's no question about that. And that's one of the big ways that it shows up for most people nowadays is the 24-7 onslaught of social media from all different angles. But the key is that in the definition, it's the desire to be like or unlike anybody else. You see, as I sort of took my stand in kindergarten and I said, look, this is who I am. I'm going to play with girls. I like it. That's just who I am. Well, in my desire to be special, to be unique, And then I kept telling myself, well, I'm different. This is just who I am. I ended up feeling very isolated. Now, here's what I know resonates because I've had the great honor of speaking at mom conferences. And I always have to laugh because they invite me and I say, you know, I'm not a mom, right? (laughs) They're like, no, no, we love it. It's okay. Is that moms feel comparanoia all the time, too, because you feel I know this. I've talked to so many moms that nobody really gets it that your situation is super unique, that your kid or that whatever. And we get into this cycle of insanity, truly, where we think no one's going to understand us. And in that feeling of no one understanding us, we keep ourselves stuck in the cycle of comparanoia, which keeps us miserable, depressed, so on and so forth. But comparanoia shows up everywhere. Definitely in parenting. It shows up in, like I said, on social media. It shows up in your conversations with your significant other. It's just part of the human condition. Yeah. <laughs> so when you freight when I heard you talking about comparanoia in your talk and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so relatable." And how is this not like a universal concept that we all identify? <laughs> like, I mean, and I think maybe we haven't identified it by name, but like absolutely this does show up for everyone and it shows up in so many different contexts. So I think it does show up in motherhood, but prior to motherhood, I think it showed up in other areas of my life. I think that it shows up across the board in different situations and circumstances. And I like that you point out that it's can be that it's you know your desire to fit in or stand out because it goes both ways. It's not just one or the other. And I think some might assume that we strongly desire to fit in. And to your point, sometimes we strongly desire to stand out and be recognized for something. Right. Yeah. Or to be recognized for the fact that you're unique, like, you know, especially in entrepreneurship. I mean, you have a podcast. Yeah. What's your market and what's your avatar and what's your niche? And that's crazy. Like it causes us to feel crazy. And remember all of this research, this development of this idea of comparanoia came to me working with young people, 
with students. I was a high school teacher. And so year after year, I would start to see what it was that was in the way of achievement. And as a music teacher, I couldn't figure out how to get these kids to become better musicians until I started to really understand comparanoia, as I've come to call it now, and how to overcome it. And that's when everything started to change. Because certainly as in high school, I don't know any high schooler who has not experienced comparanoia. It is a dreadful place for most people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you got to learn, you got to figure yourself out and you're, you know, and there's all sorts of body changes happening. It's just weird. All of it is weird. And so, you know, we suffer from comparanoia in high school and how we learn to deal with it in high school is because it's exactly what you said. You said, you know, you've experienced it as a mother and in motherhood, but you also experienced it before. And what I truly believe is what we experience as kids growing up and especially through our teen years is what will shape the rest of our lives. And so I think it's really important for us to make understanding how to overcome comparanoia universal, as you say, because if we have kids who are happy and who are celebrated and know how to celebrate, then we'll have adults who are happy, who are not bullying their kids because that's all they knew growing up, who are not laughing at kids, not maliciously, but still it can cause a problem right? because they understand the gravity of their actions. Right. I mean, the opposite would be to be like showing up with compassion and empathy versus laughing at someone. Yeah. And so can you talk about how we overcome what the solution is for comparanoia and then how you specifically use that with the teens you were working with? Yeah. So in my years of working with all these kids and teenagers as a teacher, you know, I really, they were really my test subjects. I was studying and testing this out. I realized that the solution for comparanoia was very simple. It was celebration. And I came to understand this in pretty unusual ways. It wasn't obvious at first, but, you know, over the body of my work, when I step back and look at it, truly at the core of it, it's celebration. So, but it's not just the standard definition of what we think celebration is. So I don't know for you, Sarah, and for the listeners, like what celebration looked like for them. But for me, celebration was birthdays, maybe graduations, if you did something really amazing. That's what celebration was for. And it's funny, before I did the TED Talk, I was speaking to the people that I identify as my parents here in the US. I have sort of US parents. I shared this and my mom didn't like the idea of the talk. She said, wait a minute, you're saying that celebration is the antidote to comparanoia. So what does that mean? We're supposed to go around celebrating everybody all the time. That this is happy and very superficial celebration. And I thought, OK, so we have something to talk about here. And so what I've done is redefined celebration to include more options. Mm -hmm. So I actually included an entire matrix um, that I have on my website called the I Celebrate Matrix that has thousands, tens of thousands of combinations of what celebration can look like. Oh my gosh, I love that there's a celebration matrix. We need to acknowledge that for a minute. That's really awesome. <laughs> and I got to tell you the reason, so this is really cool, actually. I think your audience will really appreciate this. The reason I created the matrix is because a mom told me, sent me a text and said, I would love something like a hundred different ways to celebrate because I forget, I get bogged down in my mothering and I don't, I don't know how to celebrate sometimes. So could you create like a resource? And I said, I'm on it. And so I created this matrix where you can combine multiple different things together to create literally tens of thousands of 
options. And it's everything from shaking your booty to gratitude, praying, meditating, saying yes, saying no, hugs, words of appreciation, dancing, being present. There are so many different ways that we can, in quotes, celebrate. And so with my students, it started with confetti launches, which sounds ridiculous, but it became the thing that everybody looked forward to. And like this signature moment that happened multiple times, you just never knew when it was going to happen. We would do confetti launches. All I think about is a lot of vacuuming. (laughs) Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Is that also a celebration you can (laughs) vacuum? Yes. Because I said, okay, if we're going to do this, because they were always so excited to do it, if we're going to do this, we have to have a crew of people who are willing to clean it up. So my dad was a custodian for a school for 35 years, and there was no way I was going to leave that job to the custodians. And so we would get the brooms and, you know, so we would clean up our own messes. And that was part of the celebration, just like you said. <laughs> and for kids, they're not overwhelmed. They're like, cool, we'll sweep. Like, who cares? We're fine with that. Whereas I feel like grownups are like, oh, we're really going to make the whole mess and then clean it up. And yeah, the kids are like, sure, why wouldn't we? How would that not be worth it? <laughs> Now being a confetti launch pro, yeah. if there was a certification, I would have it. Like <laughs> I know different ways and different materials to use to reduce the mess, uh, which is exactly what we had to do for the TEDx talk, actually. And, you know, so we did street festivals and we would do, what do you call those, where a bunch of people show up and start dancing? Oh, God. Flash mob. Flash mobs. Yeah. So when we did flash mobs, you know, the city, the town where we lived was an absolute no to a confetti launch. And so we did it anyway. (laughs) And then cleaned it up right away. (laughs) But what we did is use materials that streamers in particular, little kids love streamers. And so within seconds of them being launched, they're all picked up and they're wearing them as boas and there's no mess left behind. So... (laughs) But yeah, in addition to the launches, we would also do like birthday parties and we would do just all sorts of fun little things. I would greet students at the door all the time. And why not? You know, and I started to notice that the more we celebrated, the more they would achieve. They became better musicians. Like it sounds ridiculous, but honestly, like more confetti launches, better musicians. It's silly, but it worked. Right. You're meeting teenagers where they're at, though. Like, that's so brilliant because like they don't need another hour of class a day sitting facing a board where you're writing and giving rules and providing structure. So you're giving them the total opposite. (laughs) Thank you for saying that, because I just want to say and even, you know, and let's face it. I mean, teachers are parents technically because they assume that role. And what I learned in all of my years of teaching is that the thing that kids want the most from you. And kids, I mean, we're all kids at heart, is to be seen and to be heard. That's it. And so nothing that you teach will be more important than that individual human being feeling seen and heard. So whatever you're going to do, whatever lessons you're trying to teach your kids, or if you're a teacher, just remember that. Make sure that they're seen and heard first. And what is interesting, too, is that, for example, the confetti launches and the way I did birthday parties, the way I celebrated them, I didn't try to be a teenager, but I met them where they were at. So I didn't try to, like, dress trendy or say, oh, hey, I have a TikTok account, which, by the way, I do. (laughs) People laugh at me for, but whatever. That's where teens are now, right? But I'm not trying to be a teenager and do the silly challenges on TikTok. I'm being myself on TikTok. And if it takes off, great. And if not, oh, well, 
that's okay. So I think it's important to remember to be yourself and to think, well, okay, where are they and what can I do to meet them? And for me, Confetti Launch is bringing something from my professional theater world. Professional fireworks was another thing that we did sometimes. Um, bringing that to the high school students was something that they thought was super cool and very special, made them feel special. And we could celebrate that together. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so just in talking about it, like the energy around talking about comparanoia versus celebration is like there's just a shift in energy talking about it, which I love. So can you talk about the difference in the cycle of comparanoia versus the cycle of celebration? Because I think there's so much to learn there as well. Thank you. Yeah. And it's so interesting. As I was developing the TED Talk, for me, it was a two-year journey. So one of the things that I do in my professional life is I work with celebrities and influencers to get their messages out in the world. And I've worked with some really extraordinary people on their TED Talks and, and other talks and things like that. And so as I was putting my talk together, when it was finally time for me to step onto the stage, into the spotlight, I wanted to keep this as simple as possible. And I watched the greats like Brene Brown and Simon Sinek and the other people who had come before me and done talks that were very impactful. And so what I did on purpose is that I made the cycle of comparanoia and the cycle of celebration the same. The only difference is your response. Mm -hmm. So the cycle of comparanoia and celebration basically go the same way. It begins with incident. Well, it doesn't have to begin with, but here's the cycle. Incident, beliefs, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. And on the website and in the TED Talk, there's a graphic beautifully illustrated that shows how this all works. So the only difference between the two is how you react and respond to a situation, to an incident. When you respond with, I know, meaning I'm going to celebrate the fact that I'm special, that I'm unique, that I'm just as special as everybody else, or from a positive standpoint, then all of a sudden you're in the cycle of celebration. Mm -hmm. And you will change everything that happens after that point. The cool thing with the cycle of comparanoia and cycle of celebration is, look, here's the thing. We cannot and nor do I pretend to completely eradicate comparanoia from anybody's life, because like I said, it's part of the human condition. Nor do I think it's reasonable to say that we can eradicate bullying. What I think we can do which is sort of the message in the talk is compare less, celebrate more, have less bullying and more kindness. And so at any point in the cycle, when you catch yourself and you say, "Uh oh, I think I'm in comparanoia. I think I am. This doesn't feel good. Well, you can choose to celebrate. And all of a sudden, everything that happens after that is going to be it from a perspective of being in celebration. And you radically change the outcome of everything that's going to happen after that. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Yeah, I think of this in so many different capacities, but one of the things that comes to mind that I think is relatable to moms in particular is when you come home at the end of a hard day and it's so easy to go to a place of paranoia and think like my job is really hard and my kids are not being awesome and I'm annoyed with my partner like all these things and we go through this bullet list and then we think and so and so on social media like they just would never have this problem or they all of their stuff is just all pretty and full of glitter and we spend time then like making dinner just brewing on like how hard things are and how unfair it feels and how like really kind of wallowing in this pity party. And whereas you also have an opportunity there to, and this is what I do after a hard day where I'm like, celebration begins now. I'm putting on my coziest pajamas, especially if it's been a hard day, I'm like putting on the coziest pajamas, listening to a fun podcast or fun music while I'm making dinner, like getting my kid up in the kitchen and like, hey, like, what are we doing after dinner? Are we going to watch a movie? Are we going to play a game? Are we going to And I mean, on a school night, it might be like a seven minute activity, but doing something like triggering a shift in the energy and like into your point, triggering a shift in the cycle to switch into the celebratory cycle versus staying stuck in that comparanoia cycle. And I think 
that has to be conscientious. And I can tell you as someone who has made a conscientious choice to reframe hard days many, many, many times and being married to someone who doesn't always choose to do that, or it's just not as easy for him to do that. I can see the benefit. Sometimes I feel like a Pollyanna when my husband has a hard day. Cause I'm like, can you think of three things you're grateful for? Can you think of three wins? Can you, you know, but it's changes everything. And especially when I'm going into a transition, like of not wanting my evening to be ruined by my day. And that, you know, and for a mom of a newborn, it could be like not wanting your day to be ruined by your middle of the night feeding shift. So there's constant opportunities to kind of decide like, where do I want to jump into the cycle and flip things in order to kick it off on the opposite cycle? Right. And what I love that you just said there is you brought to light the title of the talk, which is the real power of choice. Mm, yeah. You have choice. Yeah. And so you come home and you have a choice to brew and make your food. And who wants to eat food that has that energy uh, prayed over it? You know what I mean? Like how much more scientific evidence do we need of, you know, the power of our energy? So you make the choice to, again, something I talk about in the talk that I learned from an amazing teacher educator. What do you love? What would you love more of? So you come home and you're like, oh, I love to be in my pajamas. Great. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to have my pajamas on it five o'clock in the afternoon. Why not? Yep. (laughs) I love playing with my kid. Great. I'm going to do that for seven minutes. Doesn't matter. 30 seconds is enough to change it, which is the brilliance of Joseph McClendon III's, in quotes, astitude, shaking your bottom, because (laughs) it's literally impossible not to change the way you feel. I say it in the talk, right? It's impossible not to change the way you feel when you shake your booty. And it takes seconds. You can even do it while you're sitting down. It doesn't matter. And you have the choice to do that. Or you could be like, and sometimes my husband's like this too, is like, you know, okay, well, what's something good that's happened? And and you resist, you resist. That is a choice. Mm -hmm. You can choose to stay in the cycle of comparanoia, no problem, but understand that you're there. Okay. Yeah. Now here's the cool part. And uh, my son, Jesse, gets so angry when I tell him about this. And I'll be like, Okay, so are you in the cycle of comparanoia? Yes. Are you in a bad mood? Yes. Great. Well, why don't we celebrate the fact that you're in a bad mood because you have awareness that you're in a bad mood? I can't imagine not eliciting anything other than an eye roll, depending on the age of the child. That sounds like something I would say, but I would imagine any kid would be like, really? Yeah. And that's okay. Because what's happening is learning and awareness. That's all you need to step away from it then. Right. And say nothing more. Yeah, because they're going to see it more and more. Because here's the cool thing about humans. We don't like people become addicted to feeling not good. However, we are wired to feel good. Mm. which is why people get addicted to gambling and to all sorts of things, right? This social media, because like, oh, maybe I got a message. Oh, maybe someone liked something, right? That's the addiction of feeling good. So that's the good news is we have an addiction to feeling good. Well, so that means that feeling bad is a choice and it's only temporary. And eventually you're going to want to feel good. So there's always a way out of it. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk about, so 10 years ago, you came out to your family what was their response? And then talk a little bit about how you managed that whole experience within the cycle of comparanoia versus celebration. Yeah. Well, the response was I was instantly disowned. Oh my gosh. And is this, you mentioned earlier, you have your 
parents from Italy and then you have your U.S. parents, you said. So was this with one set of parents versus the other or across the board? No. So when I was disowned at 33 from my Italian slash Canadian parents, I had some great friends in the U.S. and they sort of became my parents. Like I look at them as my parents. Now I call them my mom and dad. Okay. Because what's family anyway? Sure, you get chosen family, but you can also redefine what family means. And so I chose to redefine family for myself. It took me a few years, but I redefined family and I picked my own. And yeah, I mean, it was painful, you know, when the people who are not supposed to ever let you down or maybe not let you down, but you know, like they're supposed to always be there. Their blood, blood is thicker than water. All the things that we hear growing up, right? Right. They're just like, no, this is not okay. We don't, recognize you as ours. And that's just the end of the story. Did that reaction, were you expecting that reaction or worried that that might be their reaction? Or was this like completely shocking? Yeah, no, I waited until I was 33 because I knew what the reaction was going to be. Okay. That's what became the struggle because it was very clear because of a series of events that happened sort of through the years before that, what their reaction was going to be. But I got to the point at 33 where I was like, I just couldn't not be myself anymore to the people who were supposed to know me and love me unconditionally. I just couldn't. It was so much of a burden for me. And I know there's going to be some people out there who may argue, you know, why did you tell them something that they didn't want to know? If you knew, why did you risk that relationship with them? And it's just for me, that's what I needed to do. Yeah. And it's not for everyone. You know, not everybody is going to come out. And that's not what this is about. I just needed to be myself especially since I wrote the book Being Unapologetic. So I blame it on the book. (laughs) Because, you know, I write this whole book that did really well around the world and is like about being yourself and is like, okay, well, I have to be myself in every area of my life or I'm going to be a hypocrite. And so I had to come out. That was just... So did you find yourself then in the cycle of comparanoia after you came out, recognizing that like this is not what happens to a lot of people don't lose their parents when they come out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny. A story I share in the talk also is when my house was hit by lightning and burned to the ground. That's right. Oh, my God. Or anytime you tell someone anything traumatic, right? So this is a whole other podcast interview, but it's not useful when you tell someone, oh, I came out and I got disowned, where the very next thing that you're going to say is, oh, yeah, I know someone who got disowned or I know someone who came out and there's, or I know someone whose house was hit by lightning. And you know, what is that? That's weird. Let's stop that. people. (laughs) Totally what we do though. But it caused me to go into more comparanoia because I'm kind of like, well, okay, that's how my parents reacted or the people who kept telling me, well, maybe you shouldn't have told them. Could you just like pretend like this is literally conversations people were having with me. I was like, this is not helpful. So I really had to find it in myself to stand my ground and recognize that I have gifts. I have a miracle, a message to share with the world. And that's really what helped me to heal was that because I was a teacher at the time when I came out. Mm. And I remember one of the things that my parents said, I don't mean to laugh at it. It's just I can laugh at it now is they said, don't tell anyone at work. You'll get fired instantly. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is not the 70s. Like, what? Yeah. Now, sadly, and I say that there are still places in the U.S. where you can lose your job for not fitting inside the box that you're expected to fit in, which breaks my heart. And that is why I did the TED Talk. Mm, I want people to overcome paranoia so that we can respect each other and to understand that, no, you're not special. You're not actually that different. You're not that unique. We are all the same and we all want the same things at the end of the day. 
That's what this is about. That's the real message. Yeah, absolutely. I have to share, we had, so this is very different situation, but with a couple parallels, we went through a long infertility journey and we had to go get a second opinion at one point. And this doctor who had to have been in his late seventies and been practicing medicine forever and ever and ever, he spent like a minute and a half with us and he reviewed this file really quick. And he's like, yeah, I concur with the other doctor. He's like, you only have a couple. And his tone was just like, so matter of fact and like not empathetic at all. So he's like, you only have a couple options. It's, you know, here's A, here's B. And, you know, I don't recommend telling other people about this. You know, it's, it's a private family matter, but if I were you, I'd probably go for B and like have a nice day. I mean, we were literally with him for like less than five minutes and then we got a $2,000 bill. But I remember in that moment being like, wait, what? Like this guy's going to tell me what my family secret is? <laughs> I was like, no, that's not how it works, actually. So how about I start a podcast and talk about infertility every day? <laughs> like, I think that people think sometimes that they get to tell you what to be ashamed of or what to be uncomfortable about or like what your story should be because of their own probably sense of comparanoia. Yes. And that's not real. Yes. And again, you're so good, Sarah. Thank you for bringing that to light because when you have comparanoia, you can project that onto other people. Yeah. So my parents' comparanoia stopped me from being myself until I was 33 years old. Yeah. And so think about that as a parent, what are you projecting onto your kids who I keep saying this to people, I learned this from Dr. Wayne Dyer, we arrive into this world as miracles. There is no reason after the first nine months of life in the womb, which are truly miraculous and completely abundant in every way, that when we arrive into this world, that all of a sudden we should project all of this stuff onto these amazing miracles who are absolutely unlimited. So think about that, what you say, how you show up for other people, not just your kids, how you show up for people matters. And we, each of us has a miracle inside of us. And if we don't have all of this comparison and all of this stuff put onto us, we literally could do anything. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit, you mentioned your son, Jesse, and I know you have your own story of shameless parenting. Can you tell us a little bit about Jesse? Yeah. So seven years ago, almost eight years ago, after my house burned down, actually, I decided that I wanted to be a parent. It's the thing that I've wanted the most in my life. And I decided to go the route of adoption. And for those people who have been through the route of adoption, you'll resonate with this maybe. And for those who didn't, what you need to know is one of the ways to adopt is you go to these large events like a science fair and there's these boards up and all the agencies are there and on the boards are images of kids who need to. I had no idea this was a thing. Yeah. This is kind of blowing my mind right now. <laughs> it sounds very it's strange. weird. It sounds like a pet store. <laughs> yes, completely. And I remember I had taken a good friend of mine with me and her and I went through and it was weird and we left. And then I thought, I think I just need to go back in. Anyway, to make a long story short, we went back in and there he was, Jesse, under an assumed name. And he was an older kid. He was 12 at the time. And I didn't want to adopt a baby because as a single parent, I thought that would be insane. I don't know that I could handle that. And getting a baby is not the easiest thing in adoption. And he was just, he was musical. He was amazing. And so we went through the process and we got really close. And unfortunately, because of a number of life circumstances that happened, it became a failed adoption. 
which broke my heart. I bet. And so there was seven years of silence. And recently, in the fall of 2019, I reached out to Jesse and I said, I don't know that, you know, you ever want to talk to me again. And maybe you hate my guts. But I just want you to know that, you know, I love you very much. And you've always been in my prayers and thoughts. You're the first acknowledgement in my book before Christina Aguilera. (laughs) (laughs) out of alphabetical order. And we rekindled a relationship. Wow. And I got to spend a couple weeks with him just before Christmas, which was an absolute incredible blessing. Now you can imagine, so Jesse is now 21. He aged out of care. Wow. And that that means he was never adopted. He was in different placements until he aged out of the system. Right. Oh my gosh. That is just so like a child who essentially never had a primary caregiver. Right. And so you can imagine the comparanoia. Oh, yeah. You can imagine the damage to that miracle Mm -hmm. taking place. And things are amazing and things are challenging. And so I have to be shameless. And so right now, at the time of this recording, I don't know if Jesse's talking to me right now. Mm. And because there's a lot of challenges. And by his own admission, Jesse is addicted to his life which has not been kind or good or compassionate to him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know anything different. And all of a sudden I come back and all these things are happening and it's hard to accept that. Yeah. And so I don't know, like I will continue to show up for him. I will continue to celebrate where we're at, whether he's talking to me or, or not. I pray that it won't be another seven years of silence. I don't think it will. Mm -hmm. But I think it's an important message for people to hear is that, you know, how you show up for people and how you're consistently there for them, whether or not it is physically there, does make a difference. And the energy with which you approach a situation or somebody matters. And that's why I think celebration, the way I've defined it, redefined it, is so important. Yeah. So how are you keeping yourself in the cycle of celebration versus comparanoia right now? Well, I keep reminding myself, like I said before, what I love and what I love more of in my life. And a beautiful friend of mine, her name is Vidya. She's a guru. She's like literally a guru. She sends me these beautiful acknowledgments and mantras to repeat. And so I'm constantly repeating mantras that are positive and of what I want more of in my life. And so the current mantra that I'm using, which I think is so beautiful, is I choose peace and love instead of this. So the moment I get into like, oh, he's not talking to me or something negative is happening or whatever it is, I say I choose peace and love instead of this. And instantly I feel a little bit more peace and a little bit more love. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, David, this has been so great. I could ask you a million more questions. I want to be respectful of your time. So I want you to tell us where we can connect with you and maybe specifically around, I'll link to the TED Talk in the show notes, but then also, I know you have a community called Unmomtourage. So I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that as well. Yeah. So everything, you can find me most easily at beingunapologetic.com. That's my website. And you can connect on all my social media. I'm on Instagram. I actually read all of my messages and reply myself. Yay. Look at you. Yeah. Every time I do a podcast and someone will test me on it. So mom, (laughs) I'm expecting you to test me on it. Yes, totally. Go test him. 
and everyone's surprised <laughs> when they do that. And yeah, so Unmomtourage is a page on my website. And basically, really quick, the idea came to me that it's really powerful for me to share about my message of overcoming paranoia and reaching kids and overcoming bullying and all this stuff. And it's more powerful when the most powerful people on this planet, moms, share about me. And so I'm creating this global community of moms and mom figures, because it's not about gender, around the world who see the power of this message and want this message in their schools and communities. I teach them everything I know. I come to a community and on the flip side, I edify the momtourage who brought me to that community and their businesses and the groups that they're doing and maybe they're coaches or maybe they're podcasters or maybe they have a network marketing business in the mental wellness space. And so I edify them to continue the work once I'm gone from a community because I truly believe that this is going to take a huge global community effort. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. Oh, I feel like you've given us so many gems today and such special and significant perspectives, especially when you put it into the context of some of the challenges that you've gone through with your parents and in parenting yourself. So I just really, really appreciate everything that you've shared today, David. And thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. 
Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.